Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein, and tonight we review the big loss at the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup as the U.S. women finished off the match in regulation and extra time scoreless. But, unfortunately, in penalties through seven rounds, they fall to Sweden by a final of 5-4 to four in the penalty round shootout. Joining me right now, Carter Krishnaya from World Soccer Talk and, of course, Beyond the 90. And this, this show will also be on Carter Krishnaya's Beyond the 90 website at beyondthe90.substack.com. You know, folks... This is probably one of the most biggest and the most heartbreaking of losses we have ever seen this U.S. women's national team have. To come into this World Cup to attempt to defend two consecutive championships, attempt at a third, and absolutely failing at it miserably, even though they probably did have a better performance in this one, But unfortunately, throughout this entire run, it just was not good enough. Kardik, go ahead. Your thoughts, please. Yeah, I think think there's a lot to unpack here. This is one of the darkest days um, for me in the history of U.S. soccer. Um, Look, I I mean, I know we we, we had that epic show the night the men didn't qualify for the for the World Cup in Russia in 2018. You know, that was in October of 2017. Um, I have, you know, the men I don't expect much from, and maybe it's just me personally. I, I don't follow them. I, I mean, I kind of follow the U.S. women's national team like it's a club team. So I, I, I maybe I have more of an emotional attachment to the women. But, um, yeah, I, I had never expected to be out of a World Cup in the round of 16. I mean, this, this is we, we are one of the brand names in this, we are the brand name in this sport on the women's side. We are uh, like Brazil, France, Spain on the on the men's side combined, right? So, um, a dark day. I, I feel like Blacko Andonovsky got a lot right today, and I do want to talk about that. But this tournament, Daniel, was lost in the group stage. This tournament, because we were always going to be chasing after that. Instead of playing South Africa, we played Sweden today in the next game if we had gotten through this we would have played japan right i mean that's what happens when you finish second in your group you you end up playing really high-end opposition we ended up playing a team that's ranked third in the world that has beaten us regularly no team has beaten us more regularly uh over the course of the last 15 years than sweden so um we put ourselves in this position and i think it's important for people who are upset today to realize this tournament was basically lost, I think, in the second half against the Netherlands when after we got Lindsay Horan's pissed-off moment, right, and she gets the goal, 
Rose Lavelle serves it on the platter for her. She gets angry at Van de Donk, gets the goal. We're 1-1. We are on the front foot. We have the Netherlands uh, kind of desperately defending. You know, there was a, there was a ball uh, Linka Martins had to clear off the line. There were some good saves that the, the Dutch keeper had to make. We didn't have the killer instinct that this national team has had in the past that this national team had in 2011 after we lost to the Swedes in the group stage and we were down to Brazil in the, in the, in the quarterfinals. And Alex Morgan, a young Alex Morgan, 22-year-old Alex Morgan, really came of age in that game. And Abby Wambach said, nope, Marta, I can do you one better. And then we carried that to the final. We lost in the final to Japan uh, when Carly Lloyd missed the penalty kick in, in the shootout. But, um, but we got to the final. 2015, we had moments of adversity, but then we had that winning mentality. We had that ability to turn around and say, okay, there, we may not be playing well. There were times we didn't play well in that tournament. But in, once we have the other team on the ropes, we're going to put them to the sword. Um, and then, uh, uh, obviously, um, 2019, we, we, same, same thing. Uh, 2015, we, we had a, a kind of a rough group stage, even though we won our group. Um, we didn't play well. Uh, both against Sweden and Australia, both those games, you could argue we were the lesser team. But then we got out of the group. We struggled against Colombia in the round of 16, remember. And then um, uh, Jill Ellis unleashed a Kraken, right, in, in Carly Lloyd. Uh, and we ripped through uh, the next couple rounds but, and, and won the World Cup. But there have been moments in the past, Daniel, I want to emphasize this, where our backs have been against the wall, where we have um, struggled. And then – we have then put the other side to the sword and taken advantage. And in that Netherlands game, we had them. We absolutely had them after Lindsay's goal. And um, we let them off the hook, 1-1 one, one draw. Then it's going to come down to goal difference. And guess what? They ran up the score against Vietnam, which we had failed to do, and that's that. We're second in the group. Exactly. And, you know, I understand people want to hear tactical analysis from, you know, these experts and they want to hear tactical analysis from us. But you know what? It's more than just tactics, because the truth of the matter is this, because we will talk tactics on this show, of course, Kardec. But let's be perfectly clear how they also lost this, not just they lost this on tactics. They lost this on the belief that they can go out and bury their opposition without even flinching or batting an eye. That is the truth. Because it's not just the tactics that failed us or failed these women. It was also their emotional end of it. Because the truth is right there. If they were more clinical against Vietnam in that first group stage match... We wouldn't be talking about the way they came out and lost in the round of 16. And they would have had better opposition, or at least they would have been the better team against lower opposition in this World Cup. If it was not for Van de Donk to piss off Lindsey Horan and to get that equalizer, what? I mean, that's a loss. If they did not play better against Portugal nearly being kicked out of this World Cup in the group stage, if that shot did not nail the post in second half stoppage time, they would not have played Sweden. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just looking for the tactical analysis, guess what? 
it's not just the tactics that were the problem. It was the level of emotion. It was the level of, and I will say it, veteran leadership. Because Megan Rapino, even though she is saying goodbye to the international game, where was her leadership? And yes, I will go back to that video. And even Taylor Twelman of MLS Season Pass has also said it, formerly of ESPN. You are seeing her with three other members of that women's national team walking on the grass pitch at a stadium for a World Cup match with wearing sunglasses, dancing and strutting on the pitch. I don't care what anyone says, Kardec. To many others who will see that in their eyes means they think they're hot shit. And I apologize for swearing, folks, but it has to be said. They, they thought they were hot shit and that no one, no one was going to touch them. And guess what? They got touched. Yeah. And, and another and member. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just going to say – and. And and I don't know who it was also in the sunglasses, in the red shirt, dancing around after what Rapino did, but that was absolutely wrong. And I am upset a veteran of this national team let not only herself down, her teammates down, but the country down because of that immature display for no reason. Now you can go ahead. I apologize. Yeah, well, actually, in, in, in quick defense of Rapino, she's won two World Cups and a gold medal So in the Olympics. So I, I think she's done plenty to represent this country. But in terms of veteran leadership, we're missing, we're missing Becky Salbron. I think that was a huge miss. And, and we maybe we're going to get into that specific omission on this show because um, I have some thoughts about it. I, I think Watto may have you know, really messed up with that. Um, and then – we didn't have Tobin Heath. We didn't have Kristen Press. Those are veteran players. Sam Hewitt, I think, provides a lot of veteran smarts, a lot of balance in the squad. Um, yeah, I think she's someone that, that we missed in terms of leadership. I was hoping Kelly O'Hara may be able to provide leadership, but Kelly O'Hara's style of leadership is a little bit different than, um, than – uh, uh, some of the other people on the team, I'll just put it that way. She's very, she's a very vocal person, very kind of in your face, but we needed some of that. Um, <laughs> you know, um, we can talk about O'Hara's penalty later, right? I guess if it comes off, it's brilliant, right, Daniel? But it, 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 it yep. uh, may be inappropriate for, for, for the circumstance. Uh, but, yeah, so we had veterans like um, Rapino. you mentioned. I think Alex Morgan is not a very natural leader, although she's um, – I think she's important in that um, she is someone that some of the younger players look up to. And then that's the case with Rapino, right? It was all younger players that were dancing with Rapino in the scene you mentioned. That, that they're, they're people who look up to her. I think there is a respect for her in that dressing room, but maybe not at the same level as there was for Becky Salbron. So I think that, to me, Becky Salbron, one of the greatest players of all time, in my opinion. I think, to me uh, – and again, a lot of people don't say they don't say that they love her and think she's one of the best of all time because she's a sexual defender, right? We 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 have a bias towards attackers, but um, one of the great players of all time. So 
I think we there was a missing leadership void. I also have to mention, and this is something. Look, we're, I guess we're getting into all kind of the dirty laundry here. Vlatko Andonovsky is a guy I, I have a lot of time for. He's someone I like. Um, I think he is someone who um, did a very good job when he was a manager at NWSL. However, I think he's someone who's also buddies with a lot of players and a lot of the veteran players. And that is something U.S. soccer concerns me with. Vlatko Andonovsky, I believe, has stayed in this job because of his relationship with the senior players. Uh, similar to when the senior players rebelled and Tom Sermani got uh, sacked from this job in 2013 or 2014. It was early 2014, I think, when Sermani was sacked. And more recently, when this federation chose um, to talk to senior players on the national team, on the men's side, about Greg Verhalter, and then use that as a pretext to rehire Greg Verhalter. Well, of course, the, the, the players who uh, are getting selected by Greg Verhalter over other players who aren't getting selected by Greg Verhalter are going to say, yeah, Greg Verhalter is great. We'd rather have him as the manager than Jeff D. Mars or Patrick Vieira or whoever else was in consideration. So this is a, a problem with U.S. soccer. And in the case of Flacco Andonovsky, uh, again, he's a – Vlatko is a coach I have a lot of time for. I think today, tactically, he got it right, although you know, I think your point stands. Daniel, it was too late. We wasted the group stage. Uh, we can get into that tactical stuff in a few minutes. But he is in the job because of his relationship with the senior players, including Megan Rapino, who you mentioned. So I think this is the problem. This is where you get a leadership void. Although um, in 2015 and 2019, you had a situation where um, that arrogance and that kind of, uh, we're, 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 are, you know, we're, I, I don't want to use an expletive here, uh, but we're, our, our thing is too, 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 uh, too good to stink. Um, that worked in 2015 and 2019. Uh, particularly in 2019, the arrogance of the team was off the charts, I'm told, from people who um, were around them. And they won that World Cup. Now, there were some nervy moments, right? The Spain game, I think the England game, they were in the semifinal, they were really fortunate to get to. Uh, really, maybe down to a tactical mistake from, from Phil Neville uh, uh, before the game. And then Neville flipped it at halftime, came, but had to burn his subs. But England came back in the game and were better than us in the second half. Alyssa Nair saves a penalty. There's a very kind of dubious bar decision, I think, also that went in our favor. Um, so, so to close on this, Daniel, I think this is something we also have to remember. A lot of these things have gone in our favor in the past. That bar decision against England in 2019, um, the, uh, the, the kind of the bounce of the ball uh, in 2011 that got Abby Wambach free and, and got, got us, uh, got, uh, prevented us from being eliminated, and we got to that final. Um, I think there were, some other, there were some fortuitous moments in 2015 also uh, against Australia on the group stage. We've gotten these kind of lucky Things that happen with winning teams, and then this World Cup, none of that happened, right? Yeah, other than right. Portugal hitting the post, right? You know, we, our chances against the Netherlands were off target, or, 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 or the keeper saved them, and then today, you know, the keeper has a blinder. You know, there's a chance where Haran and, and Morgan kind of don't, or between two minds, who goes after that ball. Uh, and then, obviously, in the, in the penalty shootout, it was bad luck, quite frankly, that we lost. But 
again, you don't leave it to penalties, and more importantly, you don't finish second in your group, so you have to play Sweden in the round of 16. But, Cardick, there's a difference between arrogance while backing that up, which is what this team has done in the past, to arrogance and just being silly and stupid. That's the problem. Because when our national team, our women's national team, when they won the last two World Cup championships, yeah, I knew they were arrogant, but you know what, though? They backed it up. They backed it up with their actions. They backed it up by putting the ball in the back of the net. They backed it up by proving to the opposition, you are in for a long 90 minutes, whether you want it or not. And that's the good arrogance that I'm happy to see with this national team. Not this national team. And I will understand there's some young players out there. I can understand maybe a little more younger than normal because it's their first World Cup. So I can understand that a little bit, and that's fine. I'll give them a little bit of a pass, like Trinity Rodman. I'll understand that. Sophia Smith, I can understand that. But the problem is is that when you are not respecting your opponent, or at least not having the ability to go out there and proving to the entire world that, oh, you think that we don't have it? Watch what we can do here. That was never shown until this game against Sweden where they were better. But if they were not forced in that position by their lackluster play, it's a different story. And that's all I'm saying here, Kardec. Because this team could have gone further. I don't know how much further, but at least not to die off in the round of 16. Because they barely died yeah. off in the group stage. Yeah, yeah. The problem, again, was the group stage. But I think part of the arrogance, and, and, and people get emotional, fans get emotional. And I, when I was a fan before I'd worked in the game, probably would have reacted the same way. Oh, my God, what's Rapino doing? What, what a... What a, uh, you know, smuck is a term you might would use. Daniel, but, you know, what, what, what a clown. Why is she doing this? Why is she behaving this way? But I, I have to tell you, after working the game and, and understanding and covering this national team, um, there is an intimidation factor the U.S. has. And I think part of that might have been uh, Rapino and the young players, the, the other three players. Um, I have to look at that picture and see who was in it. I tell you, I don't have the picture in front of me. But the other three players will say, all of whom would be younger than her because she, she's the oldest uh, player on the team with Becky Salbrun out, um, that um, they, they, they thought maybe this is an intimidation. This intimidates the Swedes uh, or, or whoever they were. Was that the Swedish? Was that today's game or was that against Portugal? That's uh, that um, you're referring to. Uh, I'm, I'm probably talking about the Portugal game. Yeah, yeah. So they probably thought that would intimidate the Portuguese, right? And that, that this is, you know, this shows our our, our, our status. But, uh, yeah, it didn't work. Uh, that stuff has run its course. This happens with, with teams in, 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 in all sports, right? We, we, we saw Germany crash out of the group stage of, of – uh, has crashed out of the group stage of two consecutive World Cups in the men's side after winning a World Cup. And Germany had never not made the quarterfinals going back to 1962, when in 2018 they, they crashed out in the group stage and then uh, crashed out in another group stage of this World Cup, uh, this most recent World Cup. So uh, it happens. The question is, how are we going to respond? What are we going to do? Because this, is, this was a long time coming. There's a systemic failure in terms of U.S. soccer and the way the game is organized in the country 
And, and we talk about Alex Morgan, right? Uh, she's, she's a big topic of conversation today. Uh, and Alex Morgan is, is a, a player that came up. Let me tell you her background. Alex Morgan is from Orange County, California, uh, from Diamond Bar. She played AYSO. She played high school soccer. She played for the Pally Blues in the USLW League. Uh, or that the version of the league that it was then. I think it was called the W League then also. USLW League. She got a scholarship to Cal Berkeley because of her playing high school in AYSO, and she's one of the greatest women's uh, athletes of all time, uh, in spite of what she showed the last four games. Now, today in the United States, you can't do that. That path is kind of close to you. You, you know, you have to, you, your parents have to spend a lot of money and take you to, to send you to an academy, and then they, they travel. And there's all this kind of layers of stuff that I think has impeded our development, and I think that has to be talked about in the conversation, in the postmortem of, of why we've gone from being the dominant power in this sport to bouncing out in the round of 16 and barely getting through a group. Yes, you can point the finger at the coach, right? But I don't want all the blame to go on Black, though, because I think that's a cop-out. I don't want all the blame to go on Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan and, and these individual players, because that's a cop-out. We have a lot going wrong in the game in this country. And a lot of the problems, Daniel, that we talked about in the men's game for years that didn't creep into the women's game now have the last few years. Now the question is, and I'll leave you with this, what is U.S. soccer prepared to do about it, if anything? If anything? I'll tell you what they're going to prepare to do. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're happy with the way things are. Sure, they're disappointed in what this result is to being kicked out of the round of 16. But the truth of the matter is this. What is the game plan for trying to improve after this loss in the penalty kick shootout? Granted, officially, this is a draw through regulation and extra time, but you lose in the penalty kick shootout. The truth is nothing. Status quo. Who at that board of directors at U.S. Soccer is willing to fall on their sword and say, my fault? The answer, none of them. Absolutely none of them. You won't get that from Cindy Parlo-Cone. You won't get that from J.T. Baston, uh, Batson. You won't get that from Matt Crocker. Granted, he just recently came into the, into the fold, but still, though, he's not going to be the one falling on a sort. Kate Margraff, she won't say anything either. No one inside Soccer House, soon to be Soccer Office, office Building, will never admit something went wrong and we should ne- and they should never ever pull something like this again because they don't want to admit that they're wrong they'll say we're disappointed but we got to move on really how are you going to move on what actual changes will us soccer make to make sure that a who is the proper uh person whether it be a man or a woman, to head coach this national team for the women for the next World Cup cycle. Who is that going to be? Who's going to be part of that coaching search? Who's going to be part of that coaching staff? Well, the truth is, that's supposed to be Matt Crocker's job, but at the end of the day, that's not his job because, oh, well, I'm going to go to the senior staff on the team, and I'm going to ask these women players who do they think should be your new head coach of your U.S. women's national team? Just like he went to the players asking, 
Would you like to have Greg Barhalter back? Do you trust him more if I got somebody else with a, with a better resume? Of course he's going to ask the players. That's not doing a job. That's not doing a job. That's not actually scouting the coaching ranks to see who is the proper fit to run either the men's team or the women's team. No. No. We're going to stick with the same old, same old. Or we're going to stick with their choice. Because if you do that, if, if, let me just say this, Cardick, and you'll agree with me with this. If the English FA ever pulled off hiring a head coach where the players wanted that person instead of Southgate, who has been successful at times, wouldn't there be an uproar all over the country of England to say, what the hell is the FA doing? Actually, it kind of happened find, once where you know, all, these, all these players uh, were interviewed and said they wanted Harry Redknapp to be the manager of England, and then England turned around and hired Roy Hodgson, and people in the media were shocked. But yeah, I, I think basically Redknapp's case was probably undermined by the fact that reporters kept asking players, oh, wouldn't it be great if Harry Redknapp were the manager of England? This one Fabio Capello stepped out. And they kept saying, yeah, yeah, we want Harry Redknapp. So the FA turned around and hired someone else. Right? So other countries, they do this in a a normal way. Now, in terms of all the people you mentioned at U.S. soccer, I don't know that they get a free pass this time, Daniel, because this is – I know our sense is, and you're probably right, nothing will happen. I shouldn't be so naive. I shouldn't be so hopeful. But I think this is such an epic failure historically for the U.S. women's program that um, it's hard not to do something. Because um, very, very clearly, we have allowed our youth national teams at the women's level. I I don't know if people realize, our women's national team youth, uh, at the youth level, we used to dominate, just like the senior level. And about 10 years ago, we started struggling at the youth level. Um, Getting, we maybe, some tournaments we'd make the semifinals, some tournaments uh, we wouldn't get out of the group, some one or two tournaments we didn't even qualify for, U-17s and u 20 World Cups. Uh, so th- 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 this is kind of this rot has set in for a while, and meanwhile uh, that has been met by uh, uh, increased uh, uh, pay to play model in in terms of uh, youth development, travel teams, uh, MLS Next, ECNL, all these kind of elite of of, of, of youth uh, leagues. Although I, I do have to say, uh, in the case of MLS Next, they have produced. Uh, uh, Alyssa Thompson, who, who did make an appearance on the roster and, and got a run out uh, in the first match of the, the tournament. So uh, that, that, that's, uh, and she came through kind of a free development path uh, in LA, right? LAFC. So that's, um, that's one positive, but it's just the, the youth development in this country has gone off the rails. And like I said, I, I don't think uh, we would be in as strong a position to develop an Alex Morgan to find and develop an Alex Morgan, right? Alex Morgan played summers in the USLW League. She played for the Pally Blues, a team I know you remember as well. Actually, Amy Rodriguez, who was a big star in NWSL uh, and uh, went to USC and and, and actually won a couple World Cups too with the U.S. or won a World Cup. Uh, She was on that team also. So um, that used to be the development path. Now you're having to spend all kinds of money to send uh, – Players off to elite academies. I, I think it kind of stinks. Uh, let's hope the USL Super League 
can solve some of this. But, you know, forget USL and NWSL for a minute. Back to your point about uh, U.S. soccer. J.T. Vaston and uh, Matt Crocker, right? These two guys, and, and Kate Margraff. I mean, I talked to someone earlier today who thinks uh, Kate Margraff is going to have to be let go. And I, I don't know the internal dynamic as well as I used to there. Uh, I think Kate Markgraf has a lot of good ideas in terms of technical uh, development of the American women's program. And I think she has a lot of, she's looked, looked around and she likes what Spain has done. She likes what the Netherlands has done. You know, obviously we, we now have firsthand experience with the Dutch uh, playing well against us. So I think she has a vision for where she thinks this thing needs to be transitioned. But in fairness, she's had four years and hasn't done anything. Maybe she doesn't have the power we think she has. And guys like, uh, like uh, um, Crocker and prior to that, uh, Ernie Stewart are in the way. Or maybe um, this is just the inherent nature of U.S. soccer. They, you know, once you, you, you get into the building there at Soccer House and soon to be unnamed office building, as you said, uh, all those concerns and your critiques of the system kind of go away. I, I'm telling you, these were the critiques that Kate Mark Graff I th- had before she joined. U.S. soccer, and I agreed with her on. I think she's one of the most brilliant uh, people in the women's game in terms of an analyzing um, where we were as a soccer-playing nation. Obviously, she was a great player herself, and, and how we were maybe falling behind at the youth level specifically, right? She was looking at the way Spain and the Netherlands in particular, those two countries were developing uh, young uh, female players and thought, okay, we need to start to emulate their development uh, patterns. This is what she would say as a commentator. Um, and then, of course, she went into the building, and we haven't seen anything of the sort, right? And this might be similar to what happened with Ernie Stewart, right? We had all kinds of ideas from Ernie Stewart about how the men's development needed to change, and then he went into the building, and nothing happened. Nothing. And that's the problem, Cardiff. The problem is is that, sure, they'll bring – see, this is, this is the problem in U.S. soccer. It's like you have Ernie Stewart, you have Kate Margraff for both men and the women to say, oh, we have some great ideas. We really want to implement these ideas to improve the, the product for our men's and women's teams, for the young boys and the young girls' uh, t- national teams to make us better. They're nowhere to be found because guess what they're told? Shut up. We don't want to hear it. We're fine where we are. Keep on going the way the things have been done. And that is all we care about. They don't want to improve. They don't want to improve. They'd rather keep it as is. And the real question is this. Are we truly improving as a soccer nation? Are we? Forget about seeing MLS players transferring or American players transferring from Major League Soccer to play in England or in Germany or in Spain or in Italy. Just just forget that for a minute because as soon as they go over there, as soon as they go over there, they're free until they get called into their national team. If they, even they don't get called into their national team, they're free and they are part of something that they know they're going to improve their play 10 times over because that's as far as it goes. When it comes to improving the talent on American soil, we are royally screwed because they don't care. And then you have to ask yourselves, and hopefully we'll have Chris Kessel on one day because he is a part of the West Virginia State Soccer Association. What is going on with the different state soccer associations across our country? 
What's going on when you got big states like Pennsylvania, New York, California that has to represent or be recommended for northern departments, southern departments, same thing with Texas, east and west in both Pennsylvania and New York? What are they doing to improve the talent over there as well to make it even more competitive? Because the truth of the matter is this. They're not. It's not just getting the cracks, losing players going through the cracks that they could have played for our, for us, for our American national team. No, they'll be playing for other national teams depending on if they have family originally from another country. Because we're going to lose kids. We're already losing kids going to play for Mexico because their parents came over from Mexico to have a better life in the United States. What happens if... You know, the Thomas Dooley's of the world who were, you know, he wanted to play for Germany, but was lucky enough to play for the U.S. because the German Football Federation didn't want him. That's going to be the reverse now. That's going to be the reverse. Because if you have a passport to one of these top European nations or one of these top South American nations, and you see you have no chance to be playing on this national team, you're going to be playing your international football career somewhere else. And that is going to happen. I can tell you right now, Hugo Perez, who is definitely doing wonders for the El Salvadorian national team, could have been the head, who could have been the head coach of this U.S. men's national team if not for the stupidity of U.S. soccer. We could have had Jesse Marsh. We could have had Peter Vermees. Could have had, if he wanted to, in reality, Jose Mourinho is not going to come. Oh, sure, it would have been nice to bring over... Um, other play, other former head coaches who are great players in the Premier League. Um, I forgot his name already because he used to coach NYCFC. Patrick Vieira. We could have had him. I would have taken him for the U.S. Men's National Team. I would have taken him in a heartbeat. But no, 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 not him. We just like to throw these names out to make us sound so smart. In reality, what do they want? Status quo. Same old, same old. We would rather have someone who would rather just fall in line with us than actually bring in a manager who would do a damn good job. And you know what? If they're going to be arrogant towards you, tough. Because yeah, you, know it, it, you know what? Go ahead, Cardick. So I was going to mention, you mentioned Peter Vermees. This is interesting. My, my uh, uh, kind of sourcing indicates to me uh, that that Peter Vermees was very open to even not being the head coach if he were to be given the sporting director role that went to Matt Crocker. And that's fine. U.S. South. Yeah, yeah. No, that'd, that'd be great. I, for me, that's great. I, 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 I'm all on board with Peter Vermees doing that. I, I think he's the best when it comes to that in MLS. Him, him and maybe Garth Lagerway. Um But U.S. Soccer, my, my, I, I'm told were. Yeah, they kind of strung them along, but they really weren't interested. So, um, yeah, so, so, so it's not even just the head coaching thing. It's like with this stuff like sporting director, they're not uh, – they're, 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 they're resistant. And we see what Ernie Stewart said after he left and went back to the Netherlands um, for, for a job that's probably better than U.S. soccer, by the way, at PSV. But uh, what Ernie Stewart said – was you know, he was frustrated. Look at the youth system. Look at the lack of uh, uh, organization and structure. No real pyramid. This chaos that that, that, that has uh, ensued. 
in, in, in the game in this country, and that has crept, crept into the women's game. I want to stress that with our elimination tonight, that uh, now uh, you, you, if, you're, uh, if you've got an elite girl that, that has aspirations of being involved in, in, in uh, uh, a professional, uh, eventually be a professional footballer, women's footballer in this country, you, you, the, the amount of money you have to spend, the amount of uh, traveling you have to do, the amount of uh, school you miss, and you're told don't play high school soccer. We don't want you on a high school team. We don't even want you on your middle school team at a certain age, right? We, we, you need to play for this academy, uh, and then we're going to go. We're in North Carolina. We're going to go to Wisconsin this weekend so you can play in a tournament. And it's just ridiculous, and it used to not be like this. Okay, there were always academies and travel teams and stuff. I'm not pretending like there weren't, because some people come after me today and said, oh, well, we always had this problem. It's not like this. Not like it's become in the last five to ten years. And it, it was a problem on the men's side earlier, but it wasn't always just on the men's side either. It became a problem maybe 15 years ago on the men's side and about uh, five to seven years ago on the women's side. And, again, I used the example of Alex Morgan. I could give you more examples of players, uh, but I, I think she's, she's, she's an important one because she's uh, – maybe the most visible player, um, most most known soccer player in the history of this country, uh, up there with, I mean, I guess the other one would be Mia Hamm, right? Um, but she, her, her development path I don't think is possible in 2023 for a girl, let's say a girl that was the age of Alex Morgan in 2009, 2008. Let's go back 15 years. She's uh, 34 now, so 19. Let's go back when she was 17, uh, 17 years. I don't think that uh, that – uh, development path that Alice Morgan had, which I laid out at the beginning of the show, uh, is possible now. She would not be, uh, uh, she would not have become a national team star just a few years later in 2011 when uh, she was the big star, uh, along with Abby Wambach, her mentor, by the way, uh, when we beat uh, Brazil and when we then beat France and we got to the final against Japan. Right? That Alice Morgan wouldn't have been possible. She would have had to, her parents would have had to have driven her to a travel tournament out in Texas and all of this nonsense now. So that, that's, that's the way uh, this sport has evolved in this country. And it's a big problem. It is. It's a big problem. And now, what do you say to the girls that want to be like Abby Wambach, that want to be like Alex Morgan, that want to be like Becky Sauerbrunner, or at least be like Kristen, Chris, Kristen Press, or even back in the day, to be like Mia Hamm or to be like Brandy Chastain or Brianna Scurry or even Hope Solo. What do you tell them? What do you tell these, these up-and-coming future girls that want to be part of the U.S. women's national team, that you're not allowed to be part of these other wonderful moments of being a part of an AYSO or part of high school soccer or even college soccer, to go through everything just so you can prove yourself to be on the national team. Yeah, they'll make the NWSL. That's not a problem. But what about they go through the old version, the old regular ways, and then get to the pros? Then what? You're going to get kicked off the national team because that's not how you're supposed to do it these days. No, it's not supposed to be like that. It's not. It, it's just yeah, so I, disappointing. Yeah, we have, we, have, we have a good generation of players. I, I shouldn't pretend like we don't, because obviously Macario didn't make it to this tournament. She was injured. Uh, she's a really good young player. Mal, uh, Mal Pugh, or Mal Swanson now, sorry, um, 
I, I make this mistake often with, with players. I just got to uh, – I, I apologize in advance if you're listening to, to us for the first time. Oftentimes with players who've gotten married and I know by their maiden name, I make that mistake. So she's Mal, Mal Swanson now. Um, but uh, she was actually one of our first players that came through in the lead academy. Her and Lindsay Horan uh, came out of Colorado Rush in, uh, um, in, in the Denver area. Uh, but they um, – that was kind of the start of this – this, this move towards academies, but we didn't have Swanson. We didn't have Macario. So you didn't see all the good young players we have on display, but there are concerns and maybe we need to get into this about Vlasco, uh, Ashley Sanchez. We didn't see, um, we didn't see her in this tournament, even though she was on the roster. Um, I had to be reminded she was on the roster this morning, actually by Neil Blackman, who was like, we didn't play Ashley Sanchez for a minute. I was, cause I complained. I said, uh, Neil, I really think the biggest mistake was that we didn't take Ashley Hatch uh, to the World Cup. That's a, a player I like a great deal. I think she gives us something very different in the attacking end. I think she's been playing well in NWSL this season. I, I was surprised she was admitted. And um, Neil said, well, Ashley Sanchez, uh, blah, blah. I was like, oh, yeah, we should have taken her, too. That, that, that was a mistake because she could have given us some creativity in midfield. And he said, well, she was on the roster. And then I, re- I was reminded, oh, yeah, that's right. She was on the roster. She just didn't play a minute. So there were selection errors like that. But we have, we have some, some good young players. You saw Naomi Gurma in this tournament. I think she's really had a fantastic, uh, fantastic tournament. Uh, it, the, the, the question is, um, going forward, what kind of leadership do we see from this group? Because – uh, you mentioned it, Rapino, Morgan, uh, O'Hara, uh, well, Sal Brun's done now, too. Uh, I, I don't – Julie Ertz is retired. She, she retired today, um, started crying during the interview. That was uh, yeah. a, ultimately the right call. Vlatko got a lot of criticism from people I, I talked to privately about bringing Julie Ertz back to the national team. Remember, she had been not only out of the national team, but out of, out of playing soccer for quite a while. Um, and yep. I think she had a pretty good World Cup. So, you know, there were some things Vlatko did, I think, that were, that were right. But just, you know, again, uh, on, on the balance, he's going to have to go. But who is going to be the leader of this group? Okay, Lindsay Horan has the, the armband. Um, she's kind of a leader, but not totally. She is our – she's one of our two best players. I would say Rose Lavelle being the other. And they're very much like, I, I, I think, partners in that midfield. But – you need to find a leader, maybe among the young players in the defense, uh, some of whom we didn't see. Um, and by the way, I, okay, so I, I, I didn't know when the question was going to come in. I'm just going to ask myself a question. I'm going to give Blocko some credit here. Emily Sonnet is a player that I've seen as a central defender or an auxiliary right back her entire career. Mm-hmm. And she's someone yeah. that I have felt like always has a mistake in her if she's playing at center back. Phenomenally talented player but someone that is um, mistake-prone. So, but I like her, and in fact, I was calling for her earlier in the tournament, thinking maybe you could play her at center back, and then you, I think I said it on your show, actually, one of the post-game shows, and then you push yep. Julia Ertz back into midfield. So, lo and behold, this morning, at 4.15 in the morning, when I see Sonnet on the team sheet, and I see, like, it in a formation, I think there's a mistake. I'm like, okay, Ertz is going back into midfield, and Sonnet is pairing with Gurma. At center back. Well, in fact, Sonnet played as the sixth, and I think it was a stroke of brilliance from Blacko. I really do. Yes. Uh, putting her as yes. the sixth, her and Andy Sullivan as a double pivot controlled the match tonight. 
So I want to give Black Pearl credit for that and also to Emily Sonnet, a player that, you know, I, I've watched for a number of years now. Um, she really impressed me today. She really kind of blew me away with her performance. Um, that's the best I've seen her look for a club or country. Uh, unfortunate that this decision wasn't made before the first group game, because I think we may have won the group if she had been playing in a double pivot with, with Andy Sullivan. Since Lavelle had injury problems, maybe it would have solved a lot. Maybe, maybe we score more against Vietnam. Maybe we create more chances against the Netherlands. Um, but I give Lacko credit for that, because we had a problem with Lavelle suspended, and I think he did solve the problem by, by changing the formation, moving Sonnet into midfield, pushing Horan in as a 10 where – yeah, Lindsay's not always, you know, I feel like we're better as an eight, but, I, but given the circumstance with no Lavelle, I, I think it was the best call. So I do want to give Watko credit for that, Daniel. I think that was good tactically and really allowed us to control the game. But again, I think why, yeah. when he had seen this team and seen all these players and selected these players, was that decision not made before the first game? If you knew Sonic to play yeah. the six. And really help Andy Sullivan out, who's in her first World Cup and doesn't have that much international experience. Why didn't you do it then? I think, see, that's the problem. And look, I want to give Vlatko praise as well, because he did get some things right. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat this right now. Let's not make it all negative here against him. Did he make some smart moves? Yes. But the truth of the matter is this, Cardick, he still put some players out of position. He did not recognize it fast enough, and that's the issue we have with him right now. His substitutions were absolutely dreadful, barely any substitutions here and there, because he was forced to make substitutions against Portugal, and you have to make substitutions in this game because you're still scoreless. It's still a deadlock. You've got to find a way to sneak in a goal if you're able to, or at least get into a position where it's favorable in your department or at your end that you're attacking and you still couldn't even poke that ball in. Look, I give credit in this final, uh, excuse me, in this final match uh, for the U.S., I give credit to Musovic, the goalkeeper of Sweden. She was phenomenal in goal tonight. Uh, you know, in this matchup, absolutely. Nair was also fabulous in goal for the U.S. to play solid out there. I thought she was fine throughout all four matches. But honestly, Vlatko, his substitution patterns were lack thereof substitution patterns. It was, it was nowhere to be found. Absolutely nowhere to be found. And how is it possible... Okay, look, I understand you want to make a sub for Trinity Rodman, 66 minutes. Okay, fine. You sub out Alex Morgan for uh, Rapino to get her, you know, into extra time as well as possibly into the shootout. But why in the hell did you sub in Christy Muse as well as Kelly O'Hara in the final minute of extra time just for the penalty kick shootout? Shouldn't they have been subbed in earlier? Shouldn't they be involved in the game earlier during regulation? That is my big concern here. What did Vlatko not see to not make these impactful subs early in this match? Uh, oh, and okay, he so, also but, wasted the extra su- and he also wasted the extra sub in extra time. Yeah, so um, uh, in both those cases, so I, I think in, in the case of Christy Mewis, uh, she was an option maybe earlier in the tournament. And uh, by the way, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of hers uh, personally, actually, too. Uh, she's, uh, her, her sister was the big miss, was one of the big misses in this tournament for us. I, I think Sam Mewis would have solved a lot of the problems we had in midfield. But I think Christy Mewis at that point 
and you don't necessarily want to put a run earlier and extra time because I think that Sullivan Sonnet can, combination was working so well, really so well. And I felt bad for Emily Sonnet coming off. I wanted her to, to log the 400 point minutes, but uh, Mewis, you, you put on to take a penalty. She made her penalty, uh, and I'm, I'm very happy for her. Um, um, like I said, I'm a big fan of hers. But uh, in terms of Kelly O'Hara, who is a leader, is a veteran, is a player who I think has not played enough quality soccer in the last, um, I would say really in the last two or three years uh, for her. I, I, I thought bringing her to the World Cup was a bit of a risk. But if you bring her, maybe you're bringing her for leadership. Uh, putting her, suffering her on to take a penalty, I guess she had executed that thing she did. I, I don't know how to describe what, what uh, I mean, the, the, everyone, the listeners all saw it. So I, I guess I don't have to describe her, her, her take. But I guess she had done that in training, and, Vlatko had, and she had made it without the pressure. And Vlatko thought, okay, that's cool. You know, that's cool to put her as, 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 in, in – in the in the pens and have her take uh, do that um, and, and fool the keeper, which she did, but then she missed. Um, of course, you know uh, as you mentioned, keeper had a great game. She she's been a good keeper for Chelsea too for MIA um, in in the WSL. So I uh, wasn't surprised by her performance, but um, so at times we made it too easy for her, right? Because because Bahara got what made her go the wrong way and then just uh, tried to get too cute. Um, but I think. Ultimately, we have to address the lack of goal scoring. And this is where exactly. we can criticize Blotko's selection. Because uh, ultimately, you know, we're making these comments about uh, midfield, and I'm saying how great Sonnet was today. And I thought Andy Sullivan had an all-time performance today. I have to say, I think Andy Sullivan's performance was one of the best I've seen from the U.S. women's national team uh, central midfield. That includes the likes of Shannon Box, right, and Carly Lloyd, and some of the and and uh, uh, Lauren Halliday and some of the great players we've had in recent years, right? Uh, I really thought Andy Sullivan had a phenomenal game. If it's you know if I'm reading uh, one to ten or zero to ten, I'm giving her like a nine point five. And then she made her penalty. She took the first penalty and and and, and, and uh, swatted it home, you know, with with ease. So I, I thought she was fantastic today. And in defense, Ertz and Germa have been good the entire tournament. Um, we gave up one goal, right? And that was when Crystal Dunn slipped against the Netherlands. Yep. Um, Crystal yep. Dunn did not have the kind of World Cup this year that she did in 2019 when she was arguably the best player in the entire tournament for anyone, right? She's the best player. She should have won the Golden Ball, in my opinion. She didn't, um, but she should have. Um, but we have to talk about the attack because I think there were some selection mistakes. I, um, yes. I'm concerned about Alex Morgan's um, Alex Morgan's inability to always kind of link up with her teammates and her hold-up play not being as good as it needs to be. And if she's not going to give you the, the, the kind of goal-scoring production she's given us in the past. And, and few players in the history of, uh, of women's football, I mean, we have a short list. Abby Wambach, Christy Sinclair, who uh, her former teammate in Portland, who just, um, I, we have to presume is done now after Canada was yeah. eliminated, uh, and, and a few others. Bridget Prains, right, from Germany. Uh, short list of really elite women's uh, strikers in terms of goal scoring. But Morgan's goal scoring touch um, has eluded her for the national team recently. And though I, I, she, she scored some nice goals for San Diego and NWSL. This is the opposite of the way it used to be. I'll tell you, when, uh, when 
Morgan was playing for Orlando. She wasn't scoring many goals in NWSL, but she was constantly scoring for the national team. Now the situation seems so perverse. Um, but when she's not producing goals, you need, to, you need to seriously consider dropping her. And you have Lynn Williams. You have Sophia Smith. You can play so, – so playing Sophia Smith on the left was, I think, a compromise. You play Sophia Smith down the middle – there was actually even the option of maybe even doing that today uh, in, a, in, in some kind of formation and playing Williams and, 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 and Morgan together as strikers if you were just going to just not playing Morgan. But think about it this way. Uh, even after Swanson got injured. Now, if Swanson hadn't gotten injured, you could have had a front line of Swanson, um, Smith, and somebody else on the left. You could have put Williams there. You could have seen her play on the left uh, and on the right intentionally. So she could play anywhere on the front line, or, or you could have played – I mean, could they even, for, uh, with that kind of pace, uh, put Rapino there? Or, you know, you, you could have pushed uh, Crystal Dunn forward. You didn't have to be locked into playing Crystal Dunn as a left back. I know that had been successful for Jill Ellis and, in, in 2019. Rothko kind of disappointed me in that he never re- returned Crystal Dunn to, his na- to her natural position where I think she could have given us, uh, even maybe today, some, some creativity. If she's, if she's further forward and she's more central, if she, or even if she's on the left and she's able to come inside more. Um, so Morgan effectively became sort of a black hole in this tournament. And you had um, Rodman. Rodman was not well today, but she still gave. I mean, her first 45 minutes were tremendous, and then she just she was sick. They so, were. She was um, absolutely yeah. great in the opening 45. Yeah, yeah, and then she was she she had I think a cold or something, so she or flu something. She's been sick apparently all week, which is why she didn't start against uh, um, Portugal either. Uh, but she you know won a gamer to go out there and, and play as well as she did. So then Lynn Williams comes on, but you had the option with Williams, Rodman, even with an injured Swanson. So Rodman, Williams, um, Smith, and you know particular. Uh, Potentially Alyssa Thompson. And as I said, you know, if you had taken Ashley Hatch in the World Cup, um, which Blacko didn't do, again, that's his fault. Um, you had the option of playing a little differently in the attack. And when Alex Morgan isn't producing, which she very clearly wasn't. I mean, I think it was clear from the first game, right, the Vietnam game, that this wasn't going to be her yes. tournament. And, and, no, her, her, and her runs were, were, were often mistimed against the Netherlands. So what I would have done is, is done something else in the Portugal game, started someone else. I mean, look, even in the last tournament, uh, 2019, not the last tournament, the last World Cup, Jill Ellis, there were games where we, we did something different on the front line. You'd push Carly Lloyd forward, or you could play Kristen Press centrally. Uh, Tobin Heath would always stay on the right, but uh, and repeat, you could go Rapino Press uh, Heath. So Alex Morgan doesn't have a permanent starting position, right? There are times you can phase her out. Uh, and maybe uh, then she comes back fresher in the next game. She was never um, dropped, and you know, today I, there was it, it was pointless. Now Blacko realized this, and he subbed her off. I guess finally in extra time. But um, you know, I, I just I just feel like maybe we could have done something different in the attacking end, or or we could have changed the formation earlier and suited Alex Morgan, continued to start her, but play her alongside Lynn Williams centrally, or play her alongside Sophia Smith centrally. Um, none of that was done. So on the balance, while I'm saying I, I, I'm giving Blacko 
some credit, and I think the sonnet, again, the insertion of sonnet is a six today, brilliant. And that, that's what you want a coach to do. That's a coach responding to a problem and, and solving it, which is what we want managers to do. But these problems, there were other problems that were never solved in the tournament. And, uh, you know, possibly it's not all his fault. We have a lot of injuries, as I outlined earlier, and uh, uh, we also can't win every tournament. This is the other thing. You know, maybe, maybe, we, maybe people like me have a sense of expectation and entitlement that is unhealthy, that, you know, I just like I said to you, well, the U.S. men, they're not never going to win anything. So us missing a World Cup, maybe in hindsight, it wasn't a big deal. And the U.S. women, we always win. So when we don't win, we have a freak out. But that having been said, yeah, yes, you can't win every tournament. But there was, there were, there, it's pretty, it's a pretty dramatic fall to go um, from winning the previous two Women's World Cups, getting to the semifinals, of the uh, Olympics, being ranked number one in the world because we get breeze through qualifying and continue to win competitive matches um, during this period, then begin to limp through this last year. And I have to tell you, the friendlies leading into this World Cup, none of them were reassuring. She believes wasn't particularly reassuring to me either. So this kind of wobble began late last year, I would say. And we never pulled out of it. So it's, it's like a really dramatic collapse because I still think after the Olympics, even though we didn't win it, we were the best team in the world. And I think starting maybe last October, we've fallen to where it doesn't even feel like we're in the top five anymore. So this has happened no. on his watch. Maybe some of it was unavoidable. Uh, a lot of it had to do with injuries. A lot of it had to do with players getting old. A lot of it had to do with some – you know, other external issues, but, um, you know, this thing has happened ra- rather quickly. I mean, again, a year ago, I still think we were the best team in the world. And I think there was a decline to where, even though my expectation remained high entering this World Cup, I think I told you, Daniel, privately, I was really worried because the friendlies didn't look good. Now, I know you can't base things on friendlies, and, and we say this in the men's game, too. You can't get obsessed with, with how pre-tournament friendlies look, but we haven't looked good since about a year ago. And we've been getting results here and there, maybe weakness of opposition, maybe, you know, Sophia Smith will come up with a big goal in a big moment or with Mal Swanson before she got hurt. But there, there has been something unnerving about the performances from the U.S. for the better part of the year. And um, quite honestly, today's game match may have been the best game we played in the last year, even though we didn't get the result we needed. But there's been something... There's been a wobble, and when that happens you, and you lose your consistency, you're not going to win a World Cup. It's as simple as that. Once, a, once again, this is Daniel Feuerstein. This is the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm here along with Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk as well as BeyondThe90.substack.com as we review uh, this Last World Cup match in the round of 16, the United States and Sweden went nil-nil through regulation, extra time, fell to penalties 5-4 in seven rounds. Kardec, once again, um, you know, I agree with you that the U.S. had a better match in, in this one than they have had in the group stage. But, you know, once again, it, it's just really disheartening to see how they fell out the way they did, the way they got eliminated in this one. Because while Rose Lavelle 
suspended through yellow cards. And I, I will still say the yellow card she earned against Portugal, which was her second, that really wasn't a yellow card. But unfortunately, you can't review that. Uh, you can't even uh, contest that yellow card with FIFA. But, you know, once again, uh, that's the price you pay when you are on yellow card uh, warning and that you could be given a second and be suspended for the next match. But once again, I thought they did play a great game, just not enough done to make sure that they were able to get on a magnificent run to at least get as deep as they could. And at the same time, when, as we've already said, when you finish second in the group, you're not expected to do much. And they almost did. But unfortunately, they put themselves in a position they should never have done in the first place. Yeah, again, I think this tournament, the the, the big failure of this tournament was the group stage. And I I look specifically um, at the the game against um, the Netherlands. First half was garbage, right? It was absolute rubbish. Um, Absolute garbage. Absolute garbage, yeah. Uh, You bring on Rose Lavelle at, at halftime, and then you're in a position where you are stuck then fighting back, and then Van de Donk and, and Horan get into it. You have the incident, and we're back in it. It's 1-1. And at that point, we should have been able to push on. We had the Dutch on the back foot. They weren't keeping possession as easily. We turned around the possession in the second half. And in fact, you know, after that game, we felt like the first half against the Netherlands must have been an outlier. Although it was a fear, right? Coming into the tournament, I had that fear that we could get dominated by a ball possession team. Now, I thought it might happen when we ran into Spain or to England in the, in, in the knockout stages of the tournament. And now Kira Walsh is hurt for England, so I don't even know that England's going to control the ball that well. Although, you know, this is maybe the difference. Kira Walsh gets hurt, and England changes their formation, and they score six goals. Uh, we have all these problems, and, and Blackpool puts out one fire, but another fire starts. Uh, but the group stage is when it happened. The group stage, when we didn't get three points against the Netherlands, and then we're in a position where we now, it's not in our hands. And as it turns out, we don't beat Portugal. We were fortunate to get a draw. But even if we had beaten Portugal 5-0, oh, I guess if we'd beaten them 5-0, maybe we would have gotten, uh, gotten first in the group. But we would have had to have beaten them like two or, three or four nil, right? Uh, which you're not going to do against Portugal, who had given up one, who gave up one goal in the entire tournament. So uh, we put ourselves in this position, and um, there was, I think, a resolve among the players that we hadn't seen the real U.S. yet. And that mm-hmm. first 45 minutes today, first 60 minutes was really good. I mean, I think up to the point where Haran took that took that belter that. Nine times, maybe not nine times out of ten, but seven times out of ten, that's in the back of the net. Um, it felt like we were going to get a goal, but here's the other thing, Daniel. Even in our best days, our, our arch nemesis has been Sweden. They beat us in the 2011 Women's World Cup in the group stage when we got to the final. They drew us in 2015 and outplayed us in that game when we won the World Cup. Okay? They eliminated us from the Olympics in 16 and 20. So, um, this is a really tough ask, and we played as well as we could play. We played our best game in a year, as I said, including all the friendlies, and she believes in the first three games in the group stage of this World Cup. But 
we put ourselves in a position where we have to play Sweden instead of playing South Africa, right? I mean, that's the bottom right. line. The, the Netherlands didn't play well. The Netherlands played worse than we did today. But they were playing South Africa and we were playing Sweden. So, therefore, they've advanced and we haven't. I, no, no disrespect to South Africa. By the way, they played well in that game. They had a good tournament. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I give them a lot of credit for their performance. But, but like, I, we're just being realistic here. They are a, a relative minnow compared to Sweden. So, we they found ourselves in the position really, to play uh... Sweden. And then what I was really unhappy about us being in this position, and someone said to me today, someone who works in the game said to me today, you know, we're all devastated today. But you know what? We're just putting it off a few days because if we had gotten through, we would have played Japan and they would have beaten us. And then I said, well, maybe we would have beaten them. Well, then we would have played Spain. So the bottom line is we put ourselves on the bad, on the rough, in, in this, this rough road to get back to where we, we, we belong and where we've been because we finished second in the group. That's the bottom line. And um, so we can obsess about today and what happened today. But that person is right. Ultimately, then we would have had to play Japan. That's probably even more difficult than playing Sweden. So had we beaten the Netherlands, as we should have, we would not be in this position. Period. Exactly. Right? And, exactly. And, and, and that's, that's the bottom line. And we didn't, we didn't have the killer instinct to win that game when we had them on the road. And, and they're still in the tournament, and we're not. And that's the truth. And here's the other truth, too, Kardec, is that Officially, the rest of the world has caught up to us. The rest of the world in the women's game, for those nations who are pouring in the money in the infrastructure of women's soccer, women's football, they have now gone past where we have been. It is no longer just the United States. It's no longer just the U.S. and the Norwegians and the Chinese. It is everywhere else that truly cares about showing the respect to the women's game and they know who to knock off and now everyone else is going to be fighting everyone else now it's not just outside of this region now look what's going on in Mexico now the women's game is getting better in Mexico look in the Caribbean the, the Jamaicans now I bet you uh, even in South America now look what they're doing in Brazil look what's going on in Argentina I mean, you know, outside of – which I give Morocco a lot of credit for what they have done, not just for the men's team that had an excellent World Cup in Qatar. Look what the women have done now. Even though they were just helped by Germany losing their final group stage match that allowed them, the Moroccan women, to advance to the round of 16. I don't know if they've played yet or not. Probably not. But they should be commended for their, both their men's team and their women's team from you know, going into the knockout stages. And Moroccan football is probably going to get better and better now for both national teams. Yeah. I mean, and this is pretty uh, – um, I think this is pretty um, unbelievable when you think about the failure, if you want to call it that, that the failure of both uh, uh, Germany and Canada, well, not both, Germany, Canada, the United States, and Brazil in this tournament. Pia Sundaj, uh, Pia became one of the first managers that found a way to, to, to contain Davinia. Congratulations, right? Um, but 
I, I do think there were redeeming things in the performances for both Germany and, uh, and, and Brazil that we saw. Canada, disaster. Uh, Canada was a bigger disaster than we were. Uh, and, um, of course, uh, I guess they did win the game, right? They came from behind the Deep Republic of Ireland. Leone got, got yep. the goal. She, uh, uh, she mentioned she went to the University of Florida, which is the same school I went to. Uh-huh. Um, yep. She went yep. there much more recently than I did. Uh, but, uh, yeah, she got, she got the goal. She plays for Portland now, of course, um, in NWSL. The, um, uh, actually, sorry, she, I think she's playing in, in England now for Manchester United. I think she was just loaned to Portland for a little bit. But um, the, the unbelievable thing about this tournament, the really endearing thing about this tournament, Daniel, has been Morocco, South Africa, um, Nigeria, Jamaica, how well these kind of outsider nations have done. Morocco being the most surprising for me. Nigeria has, has shown signs in the past that they could make the knockout stages. South Africa, I was told before the tournament was good by someone who follows African football. I laughed it off, but uh, I saw during their first game uh, when they played Sweden and they gave Sweden a really, uh, I mean, they, they took Sweden to the max. I said, okay, yeah, I, I buy this. This team's pretty good. And obviously uh, um, we saw uh, them they them finish out uh, pretty strongly in terms of uh, then playing uh, um, uh, uh, Argentina and controlling most of that match before collapsing at the end and then uh, really sticking it to Italy. But um, uh, Jamaica, a great, what a great story for us here in the United States. Buddy Shaw, uh, star striker for Manchester City, uh, but obviously uh, ties in this area. And then we've got a number of college players who are playing in the United States, a couple uh, a pit duel that's at Florida State uh, in Tallahassee. Uh, they're, they're playing for Jamaica. They've made the knockout stage. Right, they eliminated Brazil. Marta's career as a World Cup player, Marta may be the greatest player of all time, ended against Jamaica. Think about that for context. That's about amazing. How competitive this tournament has been. Yeah, and so this, is, this is great, and that's great for, great for CONCACAF, right? Uh, but all mm-hmm. this means goes back to what you're saying, Daniel. The world is catching up. They've caught up, right? And this, they caught Germany also. Germany was, for many years, the other powerhouse besides us, right? Sweden has always been there, uh, Norway, Japan. There have been these kind of second-tier nations. But if there was a first tier, it was basically us and Germany. And then you had France and England sniffing around there more recently. Uh, I think England's probably first tier now. I think, I think they've smashed through that, that, that glass ceiling. But France still hasn't. Um, but Germany, they've been caught. Uh, Brazil, they've been caught. Brazil, uh, now uh, Colombia may be emerging as the top South American country. Colombia, another good story. And then um, who was the other country you mentioned? Canada. I mean, who, who would have thought Jamaica would advance further than Canada in this tournament? I mean, that, that's unbelievable. So this is all of this. It's not just our failure uh, because, you know, the excuse to be, oh, well, we lost to Sweden. You know, we lose to them a lot. Uh, these countries have done as well as us in this World Cup. Jamaica, Nigeria, South Africa, Morocco. I mean, I, so you say we've been caught. We've not only been caught, but we've clearly been caught by the likes of England and Spain um, and Japan. Well, Japan has beaten us previously in a World Cup final. So the idea that we were light years ahead of them, I think, was, was born out of a certain degree of arrogance. And that goes back to your point, Daniel. Um, Japan has beaten us in a World Cup final. They've lifted a World Cup where they were playing us, right? Sweden has beaten us repeatedly. Uh, we've lost the times to Germany through the years. Germany won a couple of World Cups. Uh, where we didn't make the final of either one. 
Um, England really was ver- very unlucky not to beat us in the last World Cup. Yet you're right. We've had this arrogance that we're better than all these countries. Now those countries are kind of on the same level as we are, and there's other countries close to catching us. And that's, um, that's the concern. Now, um, the question mark going forward is what U.S. soccer will do about it. I just read a tweet from Caitlin Murray, who I, I think knows about as much about this national team as anyone. And Caitlin Murray is saying, uh, uh, basically, she thinks that Blasco should have been sacked in, after the Olympics two years ago, and that she said so, uh, which, quite honestly, I don't remember her saying that, but, but I believe it, uh, because she, she, she's not one who, who, who um, pulls punches. And that now the higher-ups at U.S. soccer have a lot to answer for because uh, she's thinking this was predictable, that this was coming, yeah. and, uh, and uh-huh. that basically we're, we're, we're nowhere near being where we need to be. Exactly. Now, let me also throw this at you, Kardec, and I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight, but name one country right now in this World Cup that qualified who are using players of descent but were born in the United States, and they come from the Asian Football Confederation. That was in their very first World Cup. That could be a future threat. Thank you. Because I'm telling you right now, Kardec, the problem with this federation is they are not, whether it be men or women, they are not using all of the players. Uh, what's that? I was hearing something in the background there. But anyways, I was trying to say, Kardec, is that this U.S. Soccer Federation is not using all of the players or the potential of players that could be a part of this national team, men or women. Because one day, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, and I'm not saying it's going to happen next year. But if you're going to see Philippine, uh, Filipino-Americans who are not going to be allowed to be a part of this national team and they sign up for the Philippines FA, men or women, look out. Because they will be the next ones that are – it's not going to be just Japan. It's not just going to be China. The Philippines could be a power that is currently sleeping. People may scoff at me right now, but I'm telling you this right now. If the U.S. Soccer Federation does not do a better job scouting for players, I don't care who they are. I don't care where their backgrounds are from. They don't have to be rich. They don't have to be wealthy. All they have to do is love the game. And if they get an opportunity, whether it's in MLS or in the NWSL, and they are considered, if they were born in this country and they want to play for the U.S. women's national team, then for goodness sakes, make sure they play for us. Yeah, look, there, I, I think there's absolutely uh, a chance that dual nationals will look to play elsewhere. Look, 10% of the players in this World Cup uh, uh, are, are, were Americans. So when you consider uh, that uh, the U.S. was just one of 32 teams, think about that for a minute. 10% of the, uh, of the players in this World Cup were American uh, or had gone to school here or go to school here, like, like I mentioned to you, the Jamaica team has two, two players from Florida State, several from other U.S. colleges. Uh, Canada, 
Uh, we know that they've, they've had dual nationals through the years. Mexico used to when they would qualify. Haiti did this time. Colombia has always had a lot of dual national American um, Americans on their teams. And, you know, this is partly a, a, a positive reflection of our country, right? Our country has uh, taken women's sports seriously. We've taken uh, gender equity seriously. We have taken investment in, in women's soccer seriously. And it has been an opportunity for Colombian-American girls or for uh, Mexican-American girls or Filipino-American girls to develop and play. Uh, Panama, too, actually, uh, uh, why am I blanking out on her name uh, that I was actually introduced to her as an American player playing for Panama, a uh, Panamanian-American player um, that, that's played in this World Cup. But, um, yeah, th- that's, that, that's been something where we've been able to use uh, – um, give opportunity to our ethnic minorities. But you're right, they're dual nationals, and now that those countries are serious about women's football, the Philippines, the, the Panama, all of the ones we're talking about, Costa Rica is another one. Uh, they have, I don't think they had uh, quite the American influence, but they, but they could in the future. Um, yeah, the option is there to play for those countries. And if, the, if U.S. soccer appears to be a closed shop where you have to uh, – um, be part of some elite academy that's going back to the, the, the theme of the show, right? Some elite academy where your parents have to drive you 500 miles for a tournament uh, uh, over the weekend and you're going to miss three days of school as a, as a result uh, and they're going to be paying thousands of dollars. Yeah, you know, the U.S. The US women's national team is going to lim- be limited to girls who come through that development path. Sure, you know, there are going to be tons of girls growing up here in the United States that are going to go play for other national teams if they're able to. Uh, this is not a laughing matter. I think some people no. might be listening to us right now, Daniel, and saying, ah, these guys are being hysterical. They're exaggerating. No, uh, we're not. I think this is, there's a very strong possibility this could happen if we're not careful. Exactly. And that's the thing I worry about. And even back in the day, Hercules Gomez did the same thing before the whole Football America show started. He was saying the same thing a long time ago. And I met him one time. He was covering uh, the Red Bull game for ESPN. And I went to him and I said to him, you know, Hercules, I agree with what you're saying. Because for me, I don't care where your family is from. If you're born in this country and you want to be part of this national team, men or women, well, the back then it was about the women at the time. But still, though, I'm saying it, I'm saying it myself anyway. Men or women, it does not matter to me. You're born in this country. I don't care if you're American, Mexican, or I mean, uh, Mexican-American, Chinese-American, um, Filipino-American, Jamaican-American, Costa Rican-American. I do not care. If you want to be a part of this national team, men or women, then you should be considered part of this national team period. If you are good enough and able enough to do it, then for goodness sakes, you should be on these teams Period. Because one day it's going to happen that no one wants to play for this national team, depending on where your parents originally came from when they immigrated to this country. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I because all we care about is the game. Yeah. No, and I and I, I think that this is really kind of a. Uh, 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 an issue because we have to get beyond the profit motive in this country, Daniel. We have to get to a position where we are developing. And, and, and uh, we, we criticize MLS a lot, but I have to say MLS Next is doing some good things. 
in terms of, 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 of free-to-play academies. Alyssa Thompson, we mentioned, was on this team. I believe she's actually the first MLS Next product to make a World Cup roster uh, for the U.S., either on the men's or women's side. So, ironically, the first MLS Next product, MLS launched their uh, MLS Next Academy program, Academy League. The first MLS Next product to actually make a World Cup was on the women's side. So, that's a positive. Um, but I think that those stories are going to be far and few between the direction we're going. For every Alyssa Thompson, there are going to be five girls that have to have their parents uh, shelled out uh, thousands of dollars for them to be able to play elite youth soccer to where they're recognized by the national team program at the youth level or uh, a major college or university that's going to give them a scholarship or a European club, right? Um, or maybe, right. you know, maybe the USL league changes this. I mean, the USL has, has been saying, well, we're going to have a real path to pro, right? We have USL uh, w League, we have USL Academies, and now we'll have the USL S League. So they'll have the S League on top, the W League below it, um, and then USL Academy below it, and that there'll be this pathway to pro for young girls, um, and, uh, which is fine, but those are not necessarily free academies. Look, I mean, uh, more power to USL that they're trying um, to help here, but, but let's, let's face it, a lot of them are pay-to-play. They're not giving scholarships. Uh, you have to be selected. There's always some politics involved in that. Um, and, and there's too much politics in this sport, uh, period, and, and, and starting from the U.S. soccer level down. And I'm not talking about, like, politics, Republicans versus Democrats or liberals versus conservatives. No, we I'm know talking that. about, like, politics. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and of course I do. Clubs, no, no, no. Like, I know clubs, what you're talking these about. Boards, these youth club boards are unbelievable, the politics in them. So – there are so many girls who aren't getting chances, and maybe it didn't matter before to us because we were winning World Cups and we were winning Olympic gold medals. But now that we're in this position where we've been caught in this sport, we better get our act together. Otherwise, uh, the women's game could go the way of the men's game in this country. We could be sh- – I mean, I, that sounds ridiculous. Maybe I am exaggerating. I, I don't think we'll be uh, uh, grateful to make the round of 16 like we often are in the men's World Cup in the future. But – in theory, you know, we didn't get any further this time in the Women's World Cup than we did in the Men's World Cup. So, in a way, at least for one cycle, uh, we're kind of in the same position. And we've got uh, – so, we, we probably have finished 13th in this World Cup, I think, based on uh, cumulative scores and, and goal difference. So, uh, that means there will be 12 countries that finish ahead of us, which is just shocking. It, it just in but a historical ch- context. But, Cardick, if we don't sound the alarm now, it's going to get there. So I think the point is, yeah. do, do, we, do we have a right at this point in time to sound the alarm, to say, we got a problem here that's going to start festering and we got to find a way to end it now? My point is this, yes, it has to be done now because if we don't do it now, when's it going to be taken care of? When it's way too late? When it's completely too late? Or do you want to take care of this now so that when the next four years comes around, we don't have this issue again like we just had in Australia and New Zealand? Yeah. I mean, I, this is, I, we're at a piece where we're going to have to improve. Uh, and we're going to have to – we're going to have to have a, a player pool deep enough and versatile enough that we're not depending on um, the last generation to carry us. Because that might have been the other problem, right? Uh, Rapino, yes. Morgan, et cetera. You know, we're complaining about them. O'Hara, uh, 
but but they, they probably never should have been in the position where they were going to have to. Megan Rapinoe probably never should have been in the position where she had to come off the bench in the 105th minute or whatever and deliver a bunch of and hopefully deliver a brilliant set piece. Um, you know, we our development has to get better. It does it has to get better? You cannot sleep on these giants. Or at the same, oh, that's in the men's game. But at the same time, you cannot sleep because if you are the giant. Don't assume you're the giant and that no one can touch you because now you've been touched and it's been coming. And in the past, they've been aware of it. Now they fell asleep. And those minnows are now going to become the next giants. And then where are we going to be in the women's game? We're going to be in the level of mediocrity where we should not be, period. I mean, look, I'm happy that the women's game has evolved. I'm happy that the women's game has improved. I am very happy to see more competitive women's national teams in women's soccer, period. Not just here in the U.S., not just in Canada, not just in those other countries that we keep mentioning about, you know, at the time it was only us, Norway, and China. Now it's getting to be everyone else. And now everyone else is saying, guess what? We're gonna, we've already knocked you off your perch. You're already off the top of the mountain. This is our house now, and we dare you to knock us down next. That's, that's the attitude that I'm talking about, Kardec. That is the attitude that's been missing. Because like we said, it's okay to be arrogant, but you've got to back that up. And the only time they backed it up was this match against Sweden, and it still wasn't good enough. Because they never showed it in the first three matches in the group stage. Yeah, right. And, and again, I mean, I, we're beating on a dead horse here, but it, the, 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 the games against the Netherlands and Portugal cost us. And I really emphasize the Netherlands game because even after that, the Portugal game was a scare. Uh, we, we were lucky we came through it, but we wouldn't have been in that position at all uh, if, if we had – and in fact, it was out of our control, even even uh, though we got through that Portugal game. Even when we won that game, we went to won the group because we had allowed uh, them to uh, – uh, we had allowed the Netherlands to escape when they were gassed. They were really dead. There was about 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, before the Dutch uh, coach began making wholesale subs, uh, using his five subs, which is something Vlatko and Danofsky didn't do uh, very – didn't do much of in this tournament. Uh, another critique. But um, – there was there was a period of time where we had them on the ropes and past U.S. teams. That's when you feast, right? And this is true of the better teams in the sport. You see it like the great Real Madrid teams and Manchester City teams, and even um, in MLS when the Galaxy were on top and the great DC United teams early on. You know these teams they get into feeding frenzies, and this has always been the case with the U.S. WNT. There have been games where the U.S. WNT has struggled in past major tournaments. And then there's one event that turns it. In that case, it would have been the Haran Van de Donk, uh, na- uh, Nasty uh, 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 Bruhaha. Haran gets a goal, and at that point, I'm saying, okay, th- we've woken up. This is what happens. We have the killer instinct. We're the winners. We're going to get two more goals in the next 15 minutes. Didn't happen. Nope. The Dutch escaped. Did not happen. They had, a, they, had a great, they had a great – they ended up having the best chance after that. Um, and and uh, listen there, I have to make the save. And um, they had the draw, and they knew. The Dutch walked out of there knowing, okay, we've got Vietnam next. They only scored three against Vietnam. We score four. Uh, we'll win the group. Not only did they score four, they scored five in, like, the first 20 minutes. Yep. 
and put us to bed. So you know, our That's trip right. was effectively almost over, was hanging by a lifeline at that point. And then, obviously, Portugal almost beat us anyway. Um, and so the point is, we never should have been playing Sweden in the round of 16. This is the bottom line. You know, we played our best game in a year today. And we didn't win. Well, that's because Sweden's a team we should have been playing in the semifinal or the final normally, not in the round of 16. And Japan, who we would have right. played if we had won, we should have been playing them in the final, not in the, in the quarterfinals. So this is, this is our fault because of finishing exactly. second in the group. And it's the same thing, you know, Daniel, it's the same thing in the Men's World Cup. If you, I mean, we, the U.S., we don't expect to win our group and we generally finish second. But if you're Brazil or France or somebody, and you finish second in your group, this is what happens to you. You end up playing like the team you think you're going to play in the final in the round of 16. So, uh, exactly. yeah, we, we, Sweden's ranked third in the world, and we ended up playing them in the round of 16. That's our fault. It is. It is definitely our fault. There's no one else to blame but ourselves. Uh, it's on Vlatko's uh, feet. It's on uh, – look, I, I have to say it. It's on Margraf's uh, feet. It's on U.S. Soccer's feet. It's on everyone's feet that's involved in this whole uh, horrific mess. They don't want to admit it. That's fine. We know who to point the finger of blame at. It's all on them. It's all on U.S. soccer. It's all on Vladko Andonovsky. It's just, it, it, just, it just does not feel like this was a success. This was a major failure. And their best performance, too little, too late. They couldn't do anything against Sweden offensively, even though they did play better. But still, coulda, woulda, shoulda, they did not. Kardik, your final thoughts, please. Yeah, this is an epic failure uh, for U.S. soccer, one of the worst failures in the, in the modern history of the game in this country. We played much better today. I really like the insertion of Emily Sonnet. As a six, a player I've thought of as a center back for years, obviously, uh, she has more utility uh, than even I thought, and I'm a fan of hers. Uh, and it looked good today. We played really well today. But the bottom line is, because we finished second in the group, we were playing Sweden, one of the best teams in the world, our arch nemesis, in the round of 16, instead of playing them in the semifinals or the finals, like we normally would. So that's why uh, the same team that's uh, – that's been an arch nemesis of us, and we faced in latter rounds of major tournaments. Uh, we now we're facing in the round of 16, and that's why we're out of the tournament. Absolutely correct. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank my guest tonight, Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk, as well as beyondthe90.substack.com. The United States women's national team, through a scoreless draw in regulation and extra time, fall in seven rounds of the penalty shootout, 5-4 to Sweden. They are done and dusted. Once again, for Carter Krishnar, I'm Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for listening to our show tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football and we will talk to you, or I will talk to you, later on this week or next week. Thank you for joining me tonight. Take care so long, and joining us tonight, and bye-bye for now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.